want to make you aware of a, a resource that we have written and put together to help you as you get prepared for Easter. It's an eight-week devotional, and it's called Jesus Encounters. And, and the basis for this is the idea that, that God came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. And, and, and Jesus lived as we live. And so all of the things that we encounter in our life, Jesus encountered in his. All of the difficulties. He didn't just encounter them, though. He overcame them. And, and the way that he overcame them is, is help to us in understanding how we can overcome those same things in our lives. We offer you a, a couple of ways to obtain that resource. Uh, the primary way is you can download it. You can just go to easterdevotional.com and you can download a free copy of that and that would be the preferred method. But if uh, you're unable to do that and you don't have access uh, to a computer or, or a printer or whatever, uh, we have some available in print form around the church and you're certainly welcome to pick one of those up if you would, would like. But I hope you'll take advantage of that. It's uh, an eight-day devotional guide and I, I really think it'll help not just strengthen you as you prepare for Easter, but just strengthen your life in, in general. To many of those outside the faith, even those hostile to Christianity, Jesus is way at the top when it comes to being a cultural icon. Uh, his picture appears everywhere. It appears in stained glass. It appears on T-shirts. It appears on jewelry. It appears in tattoos. It, everywhere. Jesus is a cultural icon. However... Jesus is more than just an icon. Uh, Jesus is more than just an image because Jesus doesn't want to come to us as an image, but he comes to us and wants an intimate relationship with us. And it's that relationship that we have with Jesus that we find that he is our friend, that he's our teacher, that he is our savior, but also that he's our Lord. And so last week we looked at the idea of Jesus being our friend and we saw that the question is not so much, is Jesus our friend, but rather are we Jesus' friend? In other words, Jesus is our friend. He died for us. And Scripture tells us there is no greater love than anyone can have than to die for their friends. Jesus died for us. He is our friend. But the question is, we will show him that we are his friends if we obey what he commands. I would challenge you, if you missed that last week, you can listen to it on our website or you can listen to it on our app if you have that on your phone. But this week, we're going to be looking at Jesus as our teacher as pastors, for better or for worse, we're the ones who are considered the professional or at least the primary teachers and interpreters of the faith in, in the local church. And because of that, we are expected to do some things. We are expected that we'll, we will either pursue or have already earned uh, certain degrees. Uh, it's expected that we'll go to college and to seminary, or it's expected that we'll go to a Bible college, or it's expected that we'll go to the School of Christian Studies for the West Virginia Baptist Convention. And it's also sometimes expected that we become licensed and ordained. Now, while degrees... And diplomas are certainly no guarantee that we have any more spiritual insight than the next guy. Uh, it does often make the person a little more credible, at least in the eyes of the average churchgoer. In the secular world, teachers in schools, in public schools, and in universities, you have to have the appropriate degrees and the appropriate certificates, not just to get the job, but also to do the job. And so that whatever you teach will have credibility to it because you've been trained in that particular field. Again, it's no guarantee of your competence and it's no guarantee that you'll be an effective teacher. But you have to have those things. 
And I, let's face it, if you're going to spend $30,000 a year to go to a university, you want to make sure that faculty at that university has the proper academic credentials. Which brings us to Jesus. We are not aware that Jesus had any formal training. So people questioned his ability not just to understand the sacred writings, but also his ability to interpret them. He had no formal endorsement from the religious establishment of the day. And in fact, they were very hostile to Jesus. They were very hostile to his teachings, and as we'll find out, they actually wanted him dead. And then there were people who claimed that Jesus was mentally ill. And in fact, his own family thought that there was a little something off with Jesus. And of all the people that heard him teach while he was here on earth, how many actually got it? Not many. So the question then is, why should anyone then or now make the claim that Jesus is a qualified teacher of anything? based on those assumptions. Well, there are a lot of passages in Scripture that talk about Jesus' teaching. Uh, we're going to use one today from John chapter 7. Uh, beginning in verse, verse 14, it, it says, Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts to begin to teach. Just to kind of put this in context that it's in here in chapter 7, there's some debate about whether or not Jesus is going to go to the Feast of the Tabernacles. And he's having this back and forth with his brothers. And so eventually in verse 14, it says that he decided about halfway through the festival to actually uh, go up there and go to the temple courts and to teach. William Barclay and some other scholars have said that this particular passage really belongs at the end of chapter 5, that it really fits better there, and having heard their arguments, I might tend to agree with them. But that's really irrelevant to our purposes today because it doesn't change the central issue of what we're going to talk about. Actually, in the context here today, we learn all of those things that I just talked about. We, we, we learned that his, his family, his brothers, he was having this disagreement with him, and they, they didn't even believe in him. And then we find that the, the actual religious leaders of the day were actually trying to kill him and looking for a way to do that. And also, we find that the people that heard him teach really questioned his credentials. So, in verse 15 of, of John chapter 7, we read the Jews... There were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Even though Jesus didn't have the approved training and even though Jesus didn't have the endorsements and even though some people thought he was, was way off, Jesus was an incredibly gifted and creative teacher. Uh, scripture tells us that he taught with authority. He taught with an authority that no one had ever heard before. It was an authority that far surpassed any of the teachers of the day. He told stories when he taught. We call them parables. Uh, he, had, he used memorable sayings when he taught. He used shocking and outrageous things to get people's attention when he taught. For instance, he said, look, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And everybody, that got their attention really fast. Uh, he asked questions. Sometimes in, in, to teach, he would ask someone else a question. He used object lessons to visually communicate truth. He used repetition, which is very important, especially for people like me. And he taught by example. 
Now, in this particular encounter that we're looking at in John chapter 7, we really don't know what he was teaching about at that particular time, and we really don't know what really got their attention. Now, maybe it was the idea that he did speak with authority, and they'd never heard that before, or maybe it was the idea that, that he knew Scripture in a way that no one had ever explained it before, and maybe he had insights into the Scripture that they weren't aware of. But regardless, there's something that prevents them from hearing the message and what prevents them is that they cannot believe that this untrained, uneducated, unendorsed guy from Nazareth would actually have the audacity to try to teach to them the Holy Scriptures and to interpret for them the truth. He'd done none of the stuff he was supposed to do. No education, no endorsements. So why in the world should we listen to this guy? And what happened was their stereotypes and their prejudices caused them to marvel, but at the wrong thing. And they totally missed the message. In fact, they actually avoided the message. Nowhere here does it say that they disputed what he had to say. Nowhere here does it say they argued with him about what he was teaching. They simply avoided it because they didn't think he was qualified to do it. And, and a lot of us are really good at doing that today. We're, we're pretty good at finding ways to avoid the truth. You know how it works. We hear an inconvenient truth from Scripture and we'll say, well, that was written 2,000 years ago. How in the world can anything written 2,000 years ago have any bearing on life today? So we avoid the truth. We don't argue with it. We just avoid it. Or we hear an inconvenient truth, and we laugh and conclude that, well, the person that told us that, he's, he's ignorant. He's ignorant. So we, we can avoid it. We don't have to deal with it because we're just going to, past this guy that told us off as being someone who really doesn't know what he's talking about. And, and sometimes we'll hear an inconvenient truth and, and we'll avoid its truth by saying, well, that person, he's, he's not Baptist. He's from another denomination. We don't really believe quite the same as maybe they do. Or he went to the wrong seminary. And you know what they teach at that particular seminary? Or, you know, he had a little moral failure about 15, 20 years ago. And I know he's, been, he's repented and he's been restored and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I don't know if we should trust him or not. Always to avoid the truth. And when we can avoid it, we don't have to argue with it. That's convenient. I don't have to make an argument. I can just say, well, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, scripture was written 2,000 years ago. Or, oh, that guy went to the wrong seminary. Oh, he's from the wrong denomination. And then I don't have to deal with it. That's what the people here are doing. They heard the truth as Jesus told the truth. But they're going to just avoid it and ignore it because he's some uneducated guy that's untrained and doesn't have the credentials. Now, Jesus responds to their concerns. And I think it would have been easy in his response for Jesus to say, folks, let me tell you something. I am God in the flesh. I don't need to be taught. And I got my wisdom and my teaching from myself. Now, he could have said that. And actually, he would have been right. 
But Jesus realizes that if he had done that, he would have played right into the hands of those who were looking for a way to get rid of him. Because what would happen is they were, they were looking for any misstep that Jesus might make as, as ammunition uh, to get rid of him. And actually, in Jesus' response, he, he goes right up to the line. I mean, he pushes it right to the line without actually maybe crossing it. Listen to his response in, in verse 16. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Jesus did not claim to be self-taught. Jesus claimed to be God-taught. And another place in John's gospel, Jesus says that the words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. And what a clever way of saying without saying it. That this makes my teaching superior to the rabbis. This makes my teaching superior to anything you've ever heard. Which is the truth. Without actually saying it in a way that's confrontational. And in a way that might give them some ammunition. He says, look, my teaching's not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. But then the question is, doesn't every religious leader make that claim? I mean, or a similar claim. I mean, how can we know that Jesus here is teaching the truth? Well, look at verse 17. He says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Jesus says that, look, you will know that my teaching is the truth by obeying it. By obeying what I tell you to do. In other words, God's word proves itself true to those who sincerely do it. It proves itself true. Now, it would be easy to say, is Jesus being pragmatic here? I mean, is Jesus saying, look, try it. If it works, it must be true. If it doesn't work, then it must be false. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, I love what James Emery White says. James Emery White says, it's not true because it works. It works because it's true. And those of you who've tried this, those of you who've put Jesus' teachings into practice know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when we put Jesus' words into practice, they prove themselves over and over and over and over and over in our lives. People talk about wanting to know the will of God, and knowing the will of God is important in your life. But doing the will of God is also important. It doesn't work because you know it. It works because you do it. And only those willing to apply what they've learned are going to see their faith grow. You know, it's one thing to be able to quote 1 Corinthians 13 and to carry on and talk about love and how you, you know, it's important we love others, but until you actually practice it, it's not going to prove itself true in your life. Anything that Jesus says will prove true. Not because it works, but it'll prove true because it is true. But Jesus talks about the other side of things. He says, that's how you'll know that my teachings are true. Here's how you'll know some of the others aren't. In verse 18, he says, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. 
But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. And there is nothing false about him. What Jesus is saying is that, look, no teacher or preacher can claim credit for his own teaching. If it's true teaching, it comes from God. And if he claims it for himself, or if he takes the glory for what he's teaching, then there's a problem. And so Jesus is showing us, and and actually, uh, just as he was teaching them, here's some things you need to watch out for. You need to watch out for people who like to talk about themselves more than they like to talk about God. We need to watch out for people and ask, do their words prove themselves when put into practice? We have to ask ourselves, what values do they advocate? And if they claim that they have a new teaching, beware, because there's a good chance that new teaching is also a wrong teaching, because in the history of Christianity, there have been a lot of cults and other things that have sprung up because somebody else invented a doctrine and then preached it to others is the truth. And then you need to ask yourself, you know, are they claiming that they are superior to anyone else? I mean, do they spend a lot of their time and a lot of their message running down someone else and touting themselves? If, if any of those things, if they're taking glory for it, if they're pointing to themselves, if they're inventing all these new teachings, you need to watch out for them. And Jesus is saying very simply, they're not going to prove true. If you follow them, those things will not prove true in your life. So do the test, Jesus says. Put mine into practice. That's how you'll know I'm the one and that I have the authority and that I know what I'm teaching and that it's the truth. And these other people, theirs will prove false just by the same way. But there's something else that Jesus does here. And I think it's, I think it's very important. Is, is he talks about double standards. Uh, in verses 19 through 23, he says, has, Moses, has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You're demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle. And you're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? The Jewish leaders really did want to kill Jesus. But in defense of these people who are listening here, they, they may not have known about it. Because what happened was the general public didn't always know what the religious hierarchy were doing. So in secret, the religious leaders were always plotting to kill Jesus. They didn't share that information, though, with the gen- general public. So when these people, uh, and Jesus tries to set them straight on that, they think he's crazy. They think he's delusional, and they think he's probably paranoid. But that's just in their defense. But Jesus enlightens them anyway that, that they're trying to... The killing, but what Jesus is really after here is showing again true teachers and false teachers because he's talking about a double standard. And what he said look, the Jewish leaders, the ones who know the law, the ones who teach 
the law, are the ones who are trying to kill me. It's a double standard. They are claiming to believe it. They are claiming to teach it to you. But at the same time, they're going to violate it by killing me. So they have a double standard. They have one set of values they are teaching to you. And they have another set that they're practicing themselves. And then, Jesus healed a paralytic man on the Sabbath. And they said, you violated the Sabbath. You did work on the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute. You circumcise boys on the Sabbath as well. That's work. Again, he's pointing out the double standard that existed at the time. And the reason he's pointing out the double standard is not so just people will see the double standard in the teachers of the day, but so that they will see the consistency in Jesus. The idea that Jesus never teaches anything yet practices something else. Whatever he teaches, that is also what he practices. Uh, he never requires one thing of his students and another thing of himself. He never holds one set of values up for others and a different set up for himself. Jesus is always consistent, and he wants people to see that because when they look at him, when they practice his teaching, and see that it's true, when they look at his life and find that he teaches and practices exactly the same thing, it stands in stark contrast to those who were the false teachers of the day, those who were hypocrites, those who had double standards. Jesus is just, just setting himself apart and saying, look, I'm the one, I'm the one whose teachings you need to follow. And then here's what he says in verse 24. He says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. They judged on the basis of superficial examination of the facts. In other words, they judged on what seems to be as opposed to what is. And, and Jesus is saying, look, okay, I've laid it out for you here in an honest way. I have told you how you can tell that my teachings are true. I, I have told you how you can look at, at my life and how I'm consistent in what I teach and, and what I do. And so what he's saying to them, he says, look, judge correctly. He doesn't come off as being defensive. He just says, I've laid the case out for you. Now you judge for yourself, but, but judge correctly. Use the right standards to see if what I'm telling you is the truth that his words will actually be borne out in practice. So for us, how are we to look at this? Well, I think one of the things that we need to do when we look at Jesus as our teacher is we need to get rid of the, the prejudices and the false assumptions that we have and the arrogance that we have that nobody can teach us anything, that this person, we can't learn from them, that they can't possibly be telling uh, scriptural truth to us because they don't have the credentials. Or, God speaks to us in a whole bunch of different ways. God speaks to us through our friends. He speaks to us through our parents. He speaks to us through our teachers. He speaks to us through children sometimes. God has even worked in a message through non-believers sometimes. But we need to listen to God and don't ignore 
the substance of what God is trying to tell us. Don't avoid the truth of it because we can't get past our prejudices and our assumptions and our arrogance. Another thing that we need to do is just we need to apply his teaching. Uh, it's a bold claim that he makes. It's a bold claim. He says, look, if you apply these things, they will prove themselves true. That's a bold claim for Jesus to make. But that's what we have to do. Just not read it and say, okay, that sounds right. But practice it. Put it to use. And it will prove itself true. And when it proves itself true in your life, what it does is it brings you closer and closer and closer to him into a more trusting relationship. And out of that trusting relationship, you find yourself actually doing the will of God, not just knowing it. And then, we have to judge correctly in the sense that there are a lot of voices out there. There are a lot of voices that speak to us. And there are a lot of voices that claim to be true. But here's what we need to be careful. We need to ask ourselves, which voice that is calling to us is 100% consistent in what he says and what he teaches? And if you ask yourself that question, I think there's only one answer, and that's Jesus. Let's pray.